for me, the main thing is because peace building is focusing on prevention and on addressing the triggers and the root causes of violent conflict rather than just treating the symptoms. So it's a way of working that focuses on the objective of peace at all stages, preventing conflict, resolving conflicts, peacekeeping, all the way to consolidating peace through longer-term development. It really represents a shift in the way we do things from relying only on crisis response, on post-conflict, or cleaning up the mess after events have occurred, to striving to prevent the outbreaks of violence in the first place. To build peace, you need a comprehensive approach. So you need an approach that's going to address all of these root causes, the potential triggers for conflict, that spans the entire range of what the UN does. We need to look at political, security, development, humanitarian, and human rights challenges. For that, we need the engagement of the entire UN system. Another point that's really important, to build and sustain peace, you absolutely need national ownership. So the country itself is in the driver's seat. That means engaging the governments, but it also means engaging all segments of society. Peace building needs to be local and inclusive. Women certainly have to play a central role, so do young people. But I would make that extensive and say all underrepresented groups, we need to make sure that they're part of the process. Because if you want something to be sustainable, you have to have everybody involved. And then a third principle, we can't do peace building on our own. We've got to build strong partnerships. Partnerships with governments, with civil society, but also with regional organizations, with NGOs, international financial institutions like the World Bank and the IMF, and far beyond. Can you provide examples of countries where peace-building support has resulted in a tangible impact for the local population? Yeah, let me focus first of all on the Gambia. Through the Peace-Building Support Office, and in particular through our Secretary General's Peace-Building Fund, we supported truth and reconciliation processes. For example, in 2016, the Peace-Building Fund was one of the quickest responders to support the democratic transition in the Gambia. We provided around $7 million to support a number of very important planks of the truth and reconciliation process. These were priorities that the government itself had outlined. These related to transitional justice, to land conflicts, managing tensions generated by a large-scale return of migrants, and also supporting women's and youth's political participation. We had two very important partners from the UN who were implementing this in tandem with the Gambians, OHCHR and UNDP. And through those two agencies, we supported nationwide consultations on truth and reconciliation and on a comprehensive national strategy for transitional justice. There were some very interesting results. It was a participatory process. The commission had public hearings and its outreach was very broad and inclusive. They were broadcasting live to people's homes on television, through radio and online platforms. And beyond the hearings, over 34,000 Gambians were directly engaged in community-led outreach missions on this transitional justice process. A survey was done, and it showed that most Gambians viewed the commission as independent and was very favorable to its victim-centered approach. We even had some very moving testimonies from people who had benefited from the support of this project. One of the victims of human rights abuses told us, and I quote, people now aspire to live in peace in this country. Victims' lives have become better thanks to the help they got from the project. The project has brought back hope 
in the Gambia. And I think there's no more powerful testimony of the impact that one can have through these sorts of projects than what that individual said. Let me give an example from another continent, Colombia in South America. In Colombia, the Peacebuilding Fund has invested more than $40 million in supporting the peace agreement, also related to transitional justice and reparations for victims, for the reincorporation of former combatants, and for stabilization processes. The work in Colombia has also had another interesting feature to it, and that was bringing in the private sector to peace projects. There was one initiative, for example, that we supported, which brought the private sector and the public sector, the government, to work together to support local agribusiness and to make sure that companies that were investing in conflict-affected territories were doing it in a peace-positive, supportive way. We also have another initiative coming up in Colombia that will similarly bring the private sector and the public sector together. And this time the focus will be actually on having a green private investment in conflict-affected parts of the country. This is an innovation that I hope we can replicate in some other settings. You just recently became the Assistant Secretary General for Peacebuilding Support. What are your priorities and what do you see as the main challenges for UN Peacebuilding? Well, you're right. I've been in this position just a little over two months, so it's still quite new for me and very exciting. I think the opportunities in peacebuilding and the needs are great. So I do have several priorities that I'm going to really focus on in the coming period. One of the most important ones right now is to keep the spotlight on the many fragile and conflict-affected countries around the world that desperately need our help. Because we know that there is a tragic war unfolding in Ukraine. The devastation is incredible. A lot of attention and resources have necessarily been going in that direction. But we would be very remiss if we forgot all of the other conflicts that are still raging in so many countries and all of the needs of so many other people across the continents that need us to help them achieve peace, consolidate peace and sustain peace. As we very understandably focus on and support Ukraine, we also need to look at these other places. And that for me is the number one priority. Secondly, more internally perhaps, I really want to focus more on having a more integrated, coherent approach to peace building within the UN family. I think the UN does great work across the system, across what we call our pillars, humanitarian, development, human rights, peace and security. But we will be way more effective when we have an even more joined up and coherent approach. And so I want to see how we can better align, better integrate to build peace with our partners together. A third priority is to build stronger partnerships because, as I was saying earlier, we cannot do these things alone. And there are so many important partners, starting with the countries and regions themselves where we work. The main partners are the local level, communities, uh, NGOs, civil society actors, the local governments, the national governments, but also regional organizations and then other actors building out from there. So I want to see how we can strengthen those partnerships for even better results. A fourth area is precisely to show the results. I see amazing things that are being done that we have some small part in supporting as UN peace builders. And I think those stories need to be shared and they need to be known. We need to increasingly have more results and positive impact on the ground. 
And then we also need to share those. And finally, I have a priority which has to do with consolidating the funding for peace building. We have a very important meeting on the 27th of April in the General Assembly with the member states, and it's a high-level meeting on financing for peacebuilding. The idea is that the member states themselves have recognized that there's a critical funding gap. We spend so much more money, first of all, waging war, and then secondly, as I was saying, cleaning up after it. The Secretary General has been also very clear in his reports that this is not sustainable. We cannot keep spending so much money on fixing conflict once it has occurred. Over a decade, about $349 billion were spent by the international community to try to palliate or mitigate the outcome of conflicts in humanitarian assistance, supporting refugees, crisis management. We need a fraction of that money, a fraction to do more good peace-building work. And yet, we have a very unsustainable funding base. We have only voluntary funding. It's not predictable, it's not adequate, and it's not sustained. So my strong hope is that the member states will try to decide on some concrete ways forward to secure adequate, predictable, and sustained funding for peace-building. Sounds like one of your main challenges for UN peace-building is financial support, funding. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I know there's a lot of competition for resources right now. Countries also are having tremendous financial difficulties. And so talking about money and about funding at this point in time is not the easiest conversation to have. But again, it's been proven over and over. Prevention and peace building saves money, lives, livelihoods, infrastructure, and futures. In, in my view, we can't afford not to invest in prevention and peace building.